0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly. Written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, you are in for a treat. I sit down with Randy Hartley, Randy is the executive producer of the movie Beautifully Broken and author of a book by the same name, which tells the redemptive story of his family along with two others. You'll hear how a young girl's sexual assault led to a trip to Rwanda with a family who had survived the Rwandan Civil War. You will also hear the way God continues to work in their lives today. It truly is an incredible story. As you know, I interview a lot of authors on the show. What I love about interviewing authors is they've spent months, sometimes years, delving into the topic or life experience they've written about. Along the way, there have been books that have influenced me in ways I didn't expect. So I have curated a list of eight books that were influential in ways that surprised me as a free resource for you. If you are already a part of the Grace Enough community, the list will be delivered to your inbox. If not, you can find the list at graceenoughpodcast.com slash books or by clicking the link in the show notes. Good morning, Randy, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast.
2: Well, thanks Amber, glad to be here.
1: Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on the show today and we'll jump right in so that everyone can get to know you a little bit. Tell everybody a little about yourself, your family, and what you do on a day-to-day basis.
2: Well, again, I'm Randy Hartley. I live in Brentwood, Tennessee, just on the southern edge of Nashville. Uh, I'm a financial planner and I've done this now for uh, almost 39 years. I'm married to my wife, Darla, of 36 years and I've got three kids in the family uh, Alyssa, Andrea, and Nate. Yeah, so we're just uh, here working hard. Never thought I'd be an author and movie producer, but <clears throat> God kind of laid a story on us, and and that's uh, that's how this financial planner got to be talking to you today on the podcast.
1: I know. I'm excited to learn a little bit more, even about like film producing. I mean, really, that's yeah,
2: <laughs> definitely right.
1: different than financial planning. Yes, definitely no doubt. different. <laughs> right. But um, so then are you going to retire? I have to ask. I mean, you're kind of close.
2: Well, getting there, I really enjoy what I do. I guess yep. that's the only reason I could do it for 39 years. And most of my clients I've had relationships, many of them with 30, 35 year relationships. So I, I really don't take on new clients that much. I just maintain the ones that I have. And uh, yeah. as long as I enjoy it, and God allows me that opportunity, uh, I'll You'll probably keep, keep doing, doing it. what i Yep.
1: The One thing I do know is once people I know have retired, they're like, We need to be working again because yeah. this is not as easy and as fun as I thought it was going
2: to be. <laughs> it, it takes a plan, that's for sure.
1: Absolutely. Well, tell me, I love to begin just knowing how people started walking with Christ. Tell us a little bit about your faith journey.
2: Sure. Uh, mine's kind of a boring one, I guess you'd say, from the same point that I grew up in a Christian household and my parents. I mean, we went to church uh, every Sunday. Um, it probably really blossomed when we moved to rural Louisiana. I grew up right outside of New Orleans. And so we were a family of seven. I had five, uh, you know, children plus my folks. Uh, we went to a little church that might have 30 people there on a Sunday. Wow. So we were seven of 30. It was hard, it was easy to miss the Hartley family if we didn't show up. But I will say that small church really allowed us to get connected. They had a great youth group. Um, we would have the youth group over to our house literally almost every Saturday in the summers because wow. we owned 40 acres and had a swimming pool and play volleyball. And that's when I would say, I really blossomed, became connected into uh, the church and serving. And then my wife and I, you know, we had children and she grew up in a Christian household and, and thought that was an important part of family. And, um, uh, You know, so it's always been a part of our lives. Right.
1: Which is awesome. I mean, I I hear people all the time say, oh, it's kind of boring. And I'm like, oh, I'll take boring. I'll take boring. No (laughs) doubt. That is awesome. Well, we are going to talk about your book and movie, Beautifully Broken. And it really is a story of two fathers who. Are out to save their families. And so tell me a little bit about the trauma that actually occurred to your daughter that kind of brought about or kind of birthed this story in your life.
2: Well, there's no doubt. As I mentioned, I was a financial planner living what I thought was the American dream, Mm -hmm. growing up in suburbia, raising a family, good job, and doing all the things that we wanted to do. And then my middle daughter, as she approached her teenage years and into the teenage years, her life started down this dark spiral, I'll say. Um, she has an older sister, and I'd seen teenage daughters, and I don't know a dad who hadn't looked at a teenage daughter at least once or twice and thought, who in the world are you? Um, <laughs> but with Andrea, it became much, much worse, and, and, you know, sadly enough, it was drugs and alcohol and, you know, rebellion and all these things, and, and as it got worse and worse, we began thinking, what is happening here? Mm. And it culminated one weekend where she ran away, and she disappeared on a Friday night and never came home. Um, my wife and I couldn't find her. And, uh, I'm going to tell you, if you've ever been a dad driving around at three in the morning, trying to find a 16 year old, that is a lost feeling. And it was literally in the middle of that. I pulled over the car and just Mm. cried and prayed to God that it was out of my control at that point. Mm -hmm. And, um, as a dad, you don't want to ever say it's out of control, that we're our job is to kind of fix things. And, and I knew this couldn't be fixed. And so finally, Sunday, about noon, I texted Andrea one more time and said, honey, I know you need help. Let mom and I help you. Please come home. And why she turned her phone back on or responded, I don't know. But within 30 seconds, she replied and said, you're right. I do need help. And I'm coming home.
1: Oh gosh, they're really so. She
2: came home, and you know, at that point, we'd done all the grounding and the punishing and the taking the car and the phone, and we were so far past that. And her running away just kind of made that abundantly clear. So we checked her into a thirty-day program for drug and alcohol, and tried to get figure out what's going on. And about the third week there, we'd been going a couple times a week for family therapy and all. Uh, and about the third week there, she handed us a letter as we met with her and her counselor. And um, it was it was something I've talked about it 200 times. It still gets me. But the note just said when she was 12 years old she'd been molested. She'd been at a public park in Brentwood at a Fourth of July celebration, and um, she had been afraid to tell us because she was afraid that she would hurt us, and she was afraid mm-hmm. that she would be in trouble. That, that was uh, that was news you never want to hear. But the flip side of it is it was news that finally gave us a starting point to build back from.
1: Yeah. Um, Like a reason for all of the chaos.
2: Yes, exactly. And um, even though it was a starting point to build from, it didn't mean that the building from that point forward was, was straight up. It was Mm -hmm. uh, definitely became a two step forward, one step back proposition, but at least we had something to build from and in that process. And it was generally going well, but certainly not without his frustrations. And that's what I'll tell people all the time, just because you learn the root of an issue and you're working on it mm-hmm. doesn't mean you don't have setbacks. And in the middle of one of the most frustrating days of a setback, when I came home to the chaos in our house that I just learned to live with the last 18 months, I looked down and I, we had a letter from Amahosa, and Amahoza was the little girl that uh, Andrea had been sponsoring for 10 years from Compassion. They started when she was six and they were both now 16. And somehow it just struck me. I said, that's it. I'm taking my daughter to Rwanda. And I tell people all the time, God knows why I thought that was an answer. But thankfully, God knew why that was the answer. I just didn't fully understand it yet. Right. And that started the journey of Beautifully Broken and, and kind of the start of our, of our journey of uh, the, the story that's told in the book and the movie.
1: Yeah. Well, and Andrea did eventually um, begin really serving refugee children. Now, did that happen after you guys went to Rwanda or
2: before? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, It's another one of those things that I did something as a dad and I didn't realize the value of it. Um, But when I told her we're going to Rwanda, I said, you have to pay for the trip. And she looked at me like, how am I going to do that? And I said, you're going to pay for the trip by volunteering to work with the refugees because our friend William Muzerwa had been a Rwandan refugee who'd escaped the genocide. It's a phenomenal story in itself and became our neighbors. And he ran a refugee ministry. And I'd called the Mazerwa family to lead us back into Rwanda. But before we went, I told Andrea that it was about three months. I said, you need to volunteer at Legacy Mission Village. And the first day she went, she went because I made her and the next thousand days, she went. She went because she wanted to. And unbeknownst to me, the reason I wanted her to do it is I wanted her to have some skin in the game, and that was a way for her to have some skin in the game. But what I didn't really realize, but God knew, was that when she had been molested, it it ruined her self esteem and her self worth, and especially trying to hold on to it for four years, from age twelve to sixteen, it's just, you know, emotionally, uh, psychologically, it was just. It's like an acid that ate away at her.
0: Yeah. And in
2: fact, she said later in her testimony that the day she came home that night, she said, okay, I guess that's it. My die's been cast. I'm a bad girl. Mm. And it just ate away her self-worth. And when you view yourself as worthless, you treat yourself worthless. And that's what leads to the drugs and the alcohol and the rebellion. And yet when she started volunteering, she later said, when I would go there and those little kids would run up to her that she would tutor and say, Miss Andrea, we love you. Miss Andrea, we're glad you're here. That's when it really dawned on her, how could I be worthless? How how can I be worthless if these kids can't wait to see me every day? And, you know, as parents, we poured all the love and understanding we could into her. But when you're in that spot, it's almost like water through a sieve. That's what parents are supposed to say, who can trust and believe them. But it was when those little kids unconditionally ran up to her and told her how much they loved her and cared that's when she realized she had worth. And, and I am an evangelical about how helping others leads to healing. And
0: mm-hmm. when you
2: look outside yourself, that's where you see your value. Because mm. you know, evil wants you to stay in that dark spot, and keeps whispering these things that you're worthless, that you don't have something to give. And then the shame that kind of comes along with it keeps you in that dark spot. And it was when she finally started reaching out and God shined the light in the darkness that she saw, you know what? I've got real value here. I've got something to give. And, and she didn't just do it before a trip. When she came back her senior year of high school, she stopped cheerleading. She started volunteering every day, four days a week, would bring friends with her. Wow. And it really led her to go into college and do international studies and learn Swahili and lead three mission trips. And then she ultimately moved to Kenya. Uh, for eight years in service. Wow. So, uh, to say that she became purpose-driven is an understatement. And it really started with that seed that got planted when she first volunteered at Legacy Mission Village.
1: Well, and what I love about that is you can see little little snippets along the way where God just give, gave you an opportunity to respond and you didn't really know why. Yes. But you responded. And so tell us a little bit about William and his family. They became your neighbors. Like, you know, those aren't coincidences. Yes. Because um, he's the other father in this story. Absolutely. And so share a little bit of that with us.
2: You're right. God plants these seeds and we don't necessarily know why until they're revealed later. But uh Andrea had a younger brother, Nate. When I started, uh, when he was in first grade, I was the Cub Scout leader. Uh, I went to hand him out uh, a Cub Scout meeting, and instead, I got handed about ten little kids and became the, the then leader.
1: Listen, that's what always happens. I always say, exactly. like if you if you go anywhere where they need people, they like you have a some kind of mark on your head that says I am a decent leader. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> either decent leader or gullible, one of the two. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. But uh, no doubt about that one. But what I would do is, I would, I would ask the fathers to come participate. And mm. David Muzerwa was one of the Cub Scouts. And so his father, William, came. I always say I could tell from his accent he wasn't uh, from Middle Tennessee. <laughs> um, but I found out his family was from Rwanda. And it was funny because we'd been sponsoring this little girl from Rwanda at that point for probably four or five years. And so that gave us a little connection. And I told him about Amahosa. His reaction, I'll tell you why this is important later, but his reaction was, oh, that's a that's a good traditional Rwandan name. But but I, I didn't know all the facts at that time. And that's probably a good thing. I wouldn't have had the gumption to ask him to go with us back to Rwanda. But I, I knew he had been executive with the Rwandan Coffee Company. And that was the largest exporter of Rwanda, really the most important company in Rwanda. But that's also what kind of marked him when the genocide broke out. So his family escaped, and we'll talk more about that, just miraculously, the way they were able to escape. Uh, They lived in Kenya for four years as refugees. William got the opportunity to come to America uh, under a special asylum program, but his rest of his family couldn't come, and he had five children. And so he said that he prayed and fasted for seven days, trying to see if this is what God Mm. was calling him to do. And he came to America and took almost three years before the rest of the family was able to join him uh, in that process. Wow. But they became our neighbors down the street through Cub Scouts. And I got to know him. And so when our turn came to go to Rwanda, I called him up and said, William, I I need to go to Rwanda. How do we do this? How do I make this happen? And another one of those minor miracles, his wife was leading her first mission trip back to Rwanda through the Presbyterian church that very summer.
1: Wow. So because at this point, I'm assuming then compassion wasn't, in the place where they were necessarily leading trips? Because I mean, now you can almost sign up to go meet your child.
2: Well, they were leading trips, but trying to get it all timed out and worked out, you have to go when they lead a trip. And so it just didn't work that summer. So we'd reached out to Compassion um, and they could customize a trip for us, but the lead time wasn't enough. So we certainly worked through Compassion to get permission. And we were met with a Compassion person in Kigali to lead us there but we did it on our own trip and that was another god thing though because when we went with the Mazerwa we never truly knew their story but I'll tell you the day we landed it was actually Andrea and me and O'Billy William didn't have his citizenship yet so uh, he didn't want to go back to Rwanda until he was a. US citizen yes. but O'Bly did the day we landed, or the next day, a was going around visiting some friends through the church and otherwise, because again, she hadn't been back in 15 years Wow! and was kind enough to invite Andrea and I to follow her around. And that first evening, we we're coming back through the city and she told our driver, wait, turn here, turn here. And we are in this residential area. And we parked in front of this white house and she started talking. She said, that's it. That's the house we lived in. And she almost went into a trance and she said, that ditch there is the ditch that we were lined up in the night the militia came. And she said, the whole family was lined up there and they had machetes and guns over our heads. And they kept asking us what children we have in the rebels army. And William was pleading with them that our oldest child was 12. We had no one in the rebels army. And all of a sudden a gunshot rang out and the militia went up the hill and started exchanging gunfire with someone. And I'll never forget. She said, I don't know how long we lay there because how do you count minutes when you're waiting to die? But William slowly got us up and we prayed all night and we left the next morning. And I've never been back here until this moment. Wow! That made the hair on my neck stand up and made me realize, man, we are in for a, a story here and a journey. And it really made me for the first time, truly appreciate along with all the other things we learned about them, but it made me truly appreciate what they had been through and how this journey back was, um, Helping healing their trauma mm-hmm. along with our trauma, mm-hmm. and that's why I say if I truly understood their story, I probably wouldn't have had the guts to ask them to go. But again, I think that's part of God's plan too, because it became a healing trip for everybody, mm-hmm. including the Miseras and us, and ultimately when we met Amahosa and the healing that took place in her family.
1: And so, and I'm sure you didn't know this at the moment, but even with Andrea, has she said anything about how? like what was really taking place in her mind while she's in Rwanda and hearing right. all this. And.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And that's the question I kept asking myself the whole trip.
1: Right. Exactly.
2: But I tell you when we came back and she quit cheerleading on her own mm. and continued volunteering through legacy mission, you know, where kind of the, the pittance that I asked her to do was over. She just did it on her own thereafter and it showed up in her grade. She cared again. She had a purpose again. Mm. She started, as she said, I started living again. She made straight A's her senior year, went to college and made straight A's, got one B in her entire college career, went on, live mission trips while in college. So at the time, I have to tell you, Amber, I kept thinking, man, I hope this is sinking in. Man, I hope this is sinking in. And boy, did it not from her words, but from her actions. Thereafter. Yeah,
1: Wow. Yeah. And I mean, as a parent myself, like you just long for that to happen when you see them just destroying their lives, whether you know the reason behind it or not. Right. 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 Absolutely. Well, so tell me, I mean, you kind of went backwards because this turned into a movie. before it became a book. Right. And so, I mean, there's so many questions I want to ask, but, but how did that even happen?
2: Well, that's a great question. People ask me that all the time because it is backwards and I wouldn't <laughs> recommend doing it the way I did. The right answer is simply, I met movie people first.
1: Yeah. And yeah. movie
2: people don't say, wait, stop, go make a book and then see if that does. But the real story behind that's even interesting because after we did our journey and we'll talk more about meeting Amahosa Mahosa and, and that transformational process. But when I came back, I was telling friends about these stories and and they all kept going, this is, you need to write this down. You need to write this down. These are unbelievable stories. Mm -hmm. So I started kind of writing it down and, and made a little log, a blog about it. And then one day in my financial planning business, I met a lady who'd been divorced and had a lot of money. And one day I go to meet her for a regular update and she has a new person there. And she said, Randy, I've gotten married. This is Kevin, but I want you to know Kevin's got his own background. And Kevin told me that he had been a pastor. He'd also worked for Disney. Now he does Uh, media ministry he said I'm just looking for great stories and very uncharacteristically of me I said I've got a story (laughs) and we spent the next two hours talking and crying and praying the next week he had me in with his production folks in Franklin Tennessee and six weeks later he had joined us on a mission trip we already planned to do and filmed it we did a documentary about the whole story called Through the Valley and Through the Valley won three national awards, including Religion News uh, Association, uh, Religion Documentary of the Year. And that gave me the gumption to say, you know what, maybe we've got something here. So Mm -hmm. it evolved into the movie, Beautifully Broken, that was released nationwide in 2018. But the only thing about that is while the movie is truth, in a movie, you can't quite tell the exact true story. You have to move some timelines and blend some characters to kind of make it linear for a movie, because you can't stop a movie and go down a rabbit hole this way and that way, like a book, you can fill it all in. That's right. And so the movie touched so many people. We got so many comments and feedback from it that I thought, you know what? I, I, I feel called to tell the full story. And that's why our book just came out in the last couple of weeks, Beautifully Broken. It's the same story. And as I tell people, it's not like the movie's fiction. But we had to blend some things and leave some things out. Plus, the movie stopped where we meet Emma Hosea. We went back three times after that, and there's more to the story. So that, that led us to the book and, and hopefully it touched more lives.
1: Well, and the book is a collaboration. It's not, you know, just you writing the story. Right. Um, it's some different perspectives, too, which is always, it's just a mm-hmm. fuller picture.
2: Yes, yes. And the Mazer was told more of their story. And we were blessed, too, to have a guy named Ken Abraham. Ken's written 19 New York Times bestsellers, including three number ones. And he, again, happens to live in Franklin. We (laughs) knew a mutual friend that was in a Sunday school class that knew our story and said, you ought to talk to Ken about a book. And he introduced us. And it just so happened that Ken's wife had seen the movie with some girlfriends and thought, Ken, he said she couldn't stop talking about it. That led us to talking and he picked us up as a project. So we were blessed to have myself and the there was right to story. But Ken kind of gave it structure. It's like he kind of laid the foundation and put up the drywall. And then we got to decorate the house with, with all the stories of our true journey.
1: Well, and it's a, gosh, that is a gift when, I mean, because it's not easy to write a book, right? Like no, right, there, are, exactly. there are people who are experts in it for a reason. It's like financial planning. Not everybody right. knows what they're
2: doing. <laughs> exactly.
0: This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At BOW, we believe that every woman is a leader current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. So then tell me about
1: um, what is the girl's name that you sponsored?
0: Yeah, Amahosa.
1: What was that experience like? Because you said, um, and the story is also about some healing that took place in her family.
2: Well, to be honest, the strange thing was I was feeling after a week in Rwanda with the Briley and all the things that we learned, and we told you one of the many stories we learned, we went out to see Amahosa. And I was afraid, oddly enough, that I'd be disappointed because the rest of the trip had already Mm. been transformational. But when we got there, we got to her little hut that she grew up in. Uh, her family came pouring out, including her dad. And we'd always been told by compassion that her dad had been in jail. So it struck me as odd. I thought, well, compassion must have got that wrong. But as we sat down and met uh, and I exchanged some pleasantries, this is all being translated through a Briley Mazerwa. He told me, he said, I went to jail when Amahosa was two. That would have been 1994. So Andrea and Amahosa oh. were both two years old in 1994. That's the year of the genocide. Yeah. And he said, I just got out of jail less than a month ago. This was 2009. In Rwanda, they had something called the Great Reconciliation, that if you were a minor perpetrator in the genocide and you confess to what you did and asked for forgiveness, they would let you out of jail for time served. Oh. So clearly he had been in jail due to the genocide, although mm-hmm. clearly, I've never asked him what the circumstances, right. but nevertheless, he said, I went to jail when she was two and I had no idea how my family would survive. Mm-hmm. And I prayed to God and said, God how can my family make it? How is my family going to survive? And he looked at me and he said, God sent me you. Mm. So he said, thank you for being a faithful father to my family all the years I couldn't be here. And it just struck me that when my family was falling apart, Mm. we were holding his family together. And it also struck me that this journey wasn't just for Andrea. Mm. It was one for myself and the whole family. And then he went on to say, when my wife and I first got married, we couldn't have children and we we're afraid that we would be barren. And in Rwanda, when you're farmers like they are, your family is your life support. They That's they right. help do the chores and raise you and they're your social security. But he said, we finally had a child. And in Rwanda, you don't name your children until after they're born. And often you name them an attribute or an aspiration. But he said, we named her Amahoza because Amahoza means the redeemer, because she redeemed our faith in Christ. And I thought, you know, I could be here in the back hills of Rwanda, finding a little girl named the tall or the fun or the beautiful. But this whole time, we were searching for the redeemer. I tell people, if if this was a Hollywood script and you made this up, you would go, there's no way. I mean, right. come on, forget That's it. That's
1: exactly what I'm thinking right now.
2: <laughs> exactly. But no, and to take it a step further, we began sponsoring these children. when My wife and I went to an Amy Grant concert. and she said look under your seats there's a brochure and you can sign up for uh, and it was her Christmas concert and you could sign up for compassion and my wife and I said you know what would be a great gift to the kids this year is we'll let them all start sponsoring a kid so we brought the brochures home and each child picked somebody and Andrew said she wanted to sponsor a girl from Africa and we were signed to Mahosa and this was 10 years before our journey right and I can't help but think God was going, wait do you see how this turns out? (laughs) Because 10 years later, it was that letter from Mahosa that led us there that began this transformational purpose. And I I also, it strikes me how a family who had to flee the genocide and and lose everything and come to America became our neighbors to lead us back to Rwanda to meet a family whose father had been a Rwandan perpetrator. And that's what got thrown together. So it's these these bare threads of three families who've been through trauma and God could weave those threads together and just create this divine tapestry of his love and grace and beauty and wow. and that's why I tell people each of the families had been broken and yet if the name of our book was broken I wouldn't want you to read it I'd try to hide it mm-hmm. but it's beautifully broken because broken was a chapter but it's not the story mm-hmm. you know Joseph was thrown into a hole by his brothers but that wasn't the story that was a chapter and I really feel there's a lot of people who are stuck in that chapter of brokenness and, mm-hmm. and that darkness. And, you know, our God doesn't promise us that we won't have those dark days. What he promises is if we'll be faithful, he'll be there with us. And we can lean on him and he'll guide us out of that brokenness that's and right. he can put those broken pieces back together. Yeah. And, th- and that's really why, because between the Mazzara family and our family and Amahosa's family were three families that had been broken and yet God was able to pull them together and, uh, and fix it. And yet take the Mazaras. It took them seven years before the family made it to America. Gosh. You know, our family went through a, three years of turmoil. Um, Moses' family, he was in jail for, you know, for um,
1: 14 years. Oh, 14.
2: Yeah. And yet <clears throat> Moses wandered for 40 years. I mean, yes. but God is faithful. And and sometimes if we feel like he's abandoned us, I think it's simply because He's gone before us to lay a path we've not yet been able to see.
1: Well, and that's something, so there's a a talk that I do frequently called Beauty and Brokenness, and it's all about that, like it's so hard sometimes to keep perspective, and I'm talking to myself here, because we can read the Bible, and you turn the page, and it looks like everything's beautiful again, but the reality is we're talking, like you said, you've got Moses. I mean, he killed somebody and then he went and hung out as a shepherd for years before he ever even got to the burning bush you know right. david like it, it, it's not just a page we're talking one page maybe be like 40 years
2: <laughs> yes yeah so. and no, no question i mean that's why i'm saying it's a, it could be a chapter but mm-hmm. don't think you're stuck in that chapter that there is right. a plan that leads it and, and the other reason i did the book is that I think especially in this stage of social media, you know, if you go through post, everybody's on a beautiful vacation, their child's got straight A's and their little league baseball team's the best there is. I mean, that's the perception we get. And I think we can get this perception of, well, why am I the unlucky one mm-hmm. to it? But people say, how could you go through this, um, just burying your soul in the book? And it's not easy. And that's probably why I didn't write the book the first right. year or two or three. It takes perspective, but we all go through our lives hiding our scars and we all have them,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and especially with the Easter coming up here. I think about the resurrection. When Christ came back and met his disciples, what's the first thing he did? Is he showed them his scars. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't to remind them of the pain he went through, but rather to remind them of his victory over it. That's right. And so there would be no purpose in me showing our family's dirty laundry if that was the purpose of the book. That's right. It's really the, the rest of the book is to God's glory about how things were were made whole again. Yeah. And so I, I don't air our dirty laundry for anyone to feel sorry for us. It's to show them that we have a victory over it. And then the Muzerwa family, I mean, again, for everything my family been through, they've been so much more. When we did a subsequent trip, this time with William going to Rwanda, he learned what had happened to his family and just the, the, the incredible circumstances of their death And yet his ability to see that, hear that, and forgive and move forward Mm. became just this phenomenal model for us to follow, this model of grace. I'm the one who's supposed to be helping him, right? I'm the one who's got the career, and he's the refugee, and Mm. and God always flips things over. And it was our family seeing the grace and the forgiveness and just their devotion following this redemptive healing process hmm. that became a mirror for our family to follow and And that's all told in the book as well. And, and I really hope that it, it, it gives someone else who might be in that dark spot to see that, you know, their mess can become their message that, yeah. the, you know, their brokenness is temporary and there is that, that way forward.
1: That's right. So where like, is the nonprofit still going for refugee oh, yeah. children now?
2: Yep. Well, that's the amazing thing. Abrali Muzerwa has this great saying. She goes, God wastes no pain if you let it become your passion. Wow. And so when William got here, I, I admire him so much. He himself was a refugee with nothing, but he realized he'd been blessed. His family had survived. And when he was here, someone introduced him to three boys from South Sudan, the lost boys of Sudan. Mm-hmm. And William says, I distinctly remember thinking if I had been killed in genocide, that could have been my family. Who's going to care for them? So he started caring for the boys. He'd been in the States for six to nine months before then, started telling them how things went. And it went from three to five to 50, to eventually 156 lost boys in South Sudan that he started guiding. And he started a ministry doing that. And he realized he wanted to form a formal ministry. So he called myself and several others that he'd met through church together. And in a meeting, I'll never forget, he said, I should have lost my life many times in 1994, but by the grace of God, me and my family survived. I feel like the rest of my time on earth is a loan from God and I'm going to spend the rest of my days repaying that loan. Wow. I thought what a beautiful way to see things. So he did, he started legacy mission village serving refugees because he knows it's not just financial. That's what we all dive to. It's so much more than that. And in fact, when William came here, his first week, a friend of ours, and I, he, we merged his story into mine in the movie, but a friend of ours met William at church the first time he was there. And he remembered, Don remembered thinking, man, this man needs everything. He needs a house. He needs money. He needs a job. We need help with the family. So Don went to William and said, William, what do you need? What can I do for you? And William simply said, I need someone to pray with me. Mm. And William and Don have been getting together and praying weekly since 1998 when he arrived. And that's all he asked Oh, my gosh. But Legacy Mission Village has now served over 12,000 refugees in Middle Tennessee Uh, William is the director and the leader of it. His wife works there. His children have at various times worked in the ministry. And we serve people from all over, whether it's from Congo or Sudan or Venezuela Mm -hmm. or Middle East or Burma. With the evacuation, we also from Afghan airport last fall, we serve Afghani families. And I have no doubt we will be serving Ukrainian families here. And we're not an official refugee resettlement agency. There's agencies that are paid by the government to do that but theirs is a 90 day job. We work directly with those agencies and we work with these families the rest of their lives, uh, getting them into school, tutoring their kids, teaching English, getting them jobs, helping them with housing, mm-hmm. U.S. citizenship, you name it. Uh, it is such a fulfilling ministry and it's how William and O'Brien took their pain and they've made it their passion of serving so many others.
1: Well, and that it will bring us to where I want to close with just you know, so much going on in our country and such strong opinions about refugees. How has your view of refugees been impacted? Because you have a personal intimate relationship. Yes. With that started with one, and now has probably expanded to many more than that. So you know, how do you view that now?
2: Sure. Well, I you know, that's something I speak a lot on. And right here in Nashville, I feel like we're kind of in the buckle of the bible belt and listen i I know there's problems with the border and we we need to control our borders and we need to understand who comes here but that doesn't mean don't let anybody in it just means we need a system to it and i'm certainly not smart enough politically to know all those answers but here's what i do know jesus asked us to treat our neighbors as ourselves Mm -hmm. and william was my neighbor and these other refugees are my neighbor's and so I think number one, we're called to help the least of these. And I'm going to tell you what most people don't understand about these true refugees is that most of them have lived on a refugee um, center
0: mm-hmm.
2: for ten years or more before, and they go through this long application process before their number is called and they get draw that golden ticket and get to come to America. Mm-hmm. And worldwide, there's like 65 million displaced people, in about 100,000 a year get to come to America. So they're vetted and they know that benefit, but when they come here, it's inspiring because you've never seen people grab a hold of and chase the American dream like these refugees. You know, I I saw a comedian the other day, a commentator, sadly enough said, the American dream is no longer real and especially doesn't apply to anyone of color. And I'm not saying that we don't have to do better as a country, we do, Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you this, 100% of the refugees we've served so far are people of color, and they come here with absolutely nothing, and yet they know they've got an opportunity, and the parents work hard, and the kids work hard for education. They're God-loving, family-caring, hard-working people, and all they do is smile, and thank you for being the one that helped save them, and they become, as William says, they become the best ambassadors America has because they represent all the good of it. Mm. They become citizens, and um, people say, well, do they come here for a handout? These people don't know what a handout is. If you've ever been at a refugee camp where you're given a cup of beans and a cup of rice and a cup of oil, and that's all you get for a week, they don't want a handout. They want a up. They come here, and they work their tails off. Believe it or not, when they come here, they have to repay over five years their plane ticket to get here. And after five years, they have to be a citizen. And that costs $800 a piece. And if you're a family of seven, between your plane tickets of 2,000 each and your citizenship of 800 each, you've got a $20,000 IOU when you land. That has to be paid in five years. And you know what? They all pay it off. And they do it by both parents working two jobs. It's interesting to watch kids of privilege, like my family coming from Brentwood, who goes and tutors these kids. And so many times when they're through tutoring after school, the kids go work a job and the kids from Brent would go, well, what are you going to do with all that money? You buy an Xbox, you buy a car. No, I I give it to my parents Mm because we got to pay the light bills and buy the food and pay off these things. It it is absolutely inspirational. And so uh, as I say, I, I don't know all the answers to all the refugee issues in the world.
1: Yeah.
2: But what I do say is, and this wasn't the purpose of the book, the purpose of the book was to tell a true story. But I say, if William can be a face of what a refugee is and gain an understanding of who that could be, I'll take all the refugees I can as my neighbors Mm -hmm. when there are people like William and those that we serve that I guarantee you, everyone, if you got to know them, you'd be inspired by them.
1: Yeah, I love it. Well, Randy, thank you so much. You can get Beautifully Broken anywhere books are sold. And what about watching the movie? How can people uh, watch it?
2: yeah absolutely well uh in this modern day and age we we use amazon so you can go to amazon uh, the movie beautifully broken is on amazon i think it's a dollar 99 uh, to watch it and the book is on amazon or people can go to beautifully movie.com that's our website that's how you know the movie came first um that's right but but it links you into both the book and the movie and some testimonials we have for example toby mack is in our movie um in real life, it was Amy Grant, but in the movie, it's it's Toby, Toby Mac who makes that that invitation. Uh, Michael W. Smith played my pastor in the movie, um, so there's That's some uh, you'll see their testimonials and all. But but yeah, beautifully broken book or beautifully broken movie are both on Amazon as well as other places, and of course, it's on Kindle and audiobook as well.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Amber. Thanks for having me.
1: What a story of God's redemption and his pursuit of our hearts. You can find the link to Beautifully Broken Movie and Book in the show notes, along with the free resource, eight books that were influential in ways that surprised me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast. Tune in next time.